Hi, Arika here with a pre-disclaimer disclaimer. This week's episode was recorded over the interwebs using my very ancient laptop. Please forgive my audio. Please be advised that this podcast may contain strong language and themes of an adult's nature. Rest in quiet moments. Sullen, often ignored moments. Between benign words, selfish thoughts, and an apology. Spread your arms, wing distance apart. Whether you fly off the handle or fold yourself into an obtuse box. Own your narrative. My mother told me that she will buy me a rubber dolly if I was good, good. And now for the Unsullied with Oracle Goddess. So there's a lot of pain in the world at the time of this recording. It's, it wasn't just the COVID-19 on our minds or the lives lost in northern Nigeria or the evolving state of things in Minneapolis. A lot of people are at home. Um, that's those that are fortunate enough to have a roof to shelter them. People are hungry, they're unemployed, they don't know what's going on with their exams or whatever it is that they're worrying about. A lot of us are existing through unfathomable situations at the moment. And my guest today is someone who has the very, very tough job of distracting us from all of that when we're able to catch our work. And my goodness, does she do it beautifully. I've had the honor of working with and learning from her, both on set and from afar. She is easily one of my favorite people, and I'm very happy to say out loud, she is someone who runs her own race. And every time I look up, she's there to show me, and I hope now you too, what is possible when you let yourself go. Her name is Veruche Opia, and this is why she is on Solid. First of all, thank you very much for coming. (laughs) Oh, you're making me blush, Erica. (laughs) Ass is sweet mouth. Come on. They got to know, man. They got to know. You're a big deal. Girl, we are just here. <laughs> you see? And she'll be doing humble. Big deal she is. <laughs> um, have you told Jimmy to stop calling you Weru? Because we need to start finding him. He needs to put some respect on your name. You know? What do you mean? <laughs> The way he was like, where were you I'm like, I'm like, why is he, why is he calling her like that? That's not, no. <laughs> That's nah, not he's, he's, he's allowed. He's allowed to call me that. <laughs> he's allowed. All right. So let's, let's start from your origin story. Can you tell us where mm-hmm. you were born, how long you lived there and what part of that neighborhood you'd say has stayed with you through the years? Um, I was born in... Lagos, Nigeria. Um, I was actually born in Balande, to be specific. Um, I grew up, my formative years, I grew up in Apapa GRA. What part of the neighborhood has stayed with you through, through all the years? I remember when I lived in, I mean, because I moved around a lot. The time we lived yeah. in University of Lagos in Yaba, uh, the high rise building, okay. block A, flat 10. Oh, <laughs> this was back in the day when your parents will. Yeah, they would tell you to remember the, the telephone number of the house you lived in. So if you ever get lost, you can tell them. Because there's no mobile phone back then. You know, this is the number. This is my mom. Maybe with my diary. Send me back, please. I remember the yeah. first time I got in a fight was with someone called um, Ogale. And I remember slapping her. And I just thought, <laughs> I, I don't do this. I don't fight. And it has stayed with me. Like, to the point where if I hear the name, my right mm. hand actually itches a little bit. Like, I feel the weight. Of my hands just connecting with your face. Wow. Um, 
And I think that was the moment I knew that, yeah, I'm not a violent person. I don't like confrontation. <laughs> when people try me, it's just like, hmm, let me come back and talk to you when we can both speak yeah. you know, and listen to each other because this is not, this aggression and anger is not what I, and I'd say that for me stayed with me thanks to that experience. So, okay. Yeah. I think I have one now. Okay. So I remember I was about six um, and I was eating as I love to do mm-hmm. and it was fish. And I remember I then said I had a fish bone stuck in my throat. And my mom went like complete panic mode. And I remember there was a hospital on the road because we lived, our house was on the, it was on a junction. So yeah, so we had a gate on the main road and a gate on the side road. And there was a hospital on the side road. And I remember that I think I was eating eba and okosu with fish because that's my favorite. And, <laughs> and so I remember my mom saying, swallow some eba, swallow some eba. And I was swallowing it. And I, I wasn't sure if it had gone or if it hadn't. Uh-huh. But then I remember my mom went into full panic mode. She picked me up, ran outside, screamed to the gate man to open the side gate. Now, we had loads of people in my compound. We had, um, yeah, loads of loads, probably about 10 people who lived in my compound who were um, staff. So everyone was panicking. Everyone came out and they opened the gate. And I remember my mum ran with me in her arms very dramatically all the way to the hospital. But, and she doesn't know this, I think the bone had gone before she started all this running. Oh gosh. No, but you couldn't have known either. But I, but because I once you feel so that bad. first no. Because you couldn't yeah, have known because once you feel sure. that first stab, the sensation yeah. sort of stays there. I, I say this because fish is my thing. <laughs> Seafood is my thing. Until now, I still almost kill myself every time I have it. Every you know, single and, time, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't sure, but I just remember her carrying me and running. I remember her rapper fell, so there was somebody running with her. Shouting, oh, my damn, you're rapper, you're rapper, you're rapper. But like halfway through, I was like, um, I can't tell her I can't feel it anymore. How <laughs> <Like, "No>, can <laughs> I? <laughs> and then she ran all the way to the hospital. I ran in. And I'm like, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter. And then I don't even think the doctors, there was nothing the doctors could do. Right, And then they just sat there and gave me more water to drink or something. Mm. And then after a while, my mind was like, okay, say you're okay now. I think enough time has gone <laughs> past. And I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she was like, are you sure? Are you sure? Oh, my God. And she was so, like, traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. But even now, eating fish is like, she doesn't, she, you can't talk while you're eating fish. When my mom oh, gosh. <laughs> Because she's so terrified of it. But mm. yeah, that, I was about six, five or six, and all that happened. And I remember it vividly of her running with me in her arms. So dramatic. Oh, gosh. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> man, like what you said about how, you know, the doctors, I mean, the people there weren't even sure exactly what to do besides here, drink water. Because yeah. there are people who I know who live in, like, in Lagos who have passed on because things like they had an asthma attack and they've gone and knocked yes. on these three or four hospitals and they didn't get seen in time or they got seen and they didn't have one equipment or the other so I can imagine your panic and your mom's panic and you're coming from 
a place of love and also mm. trying to look after each other at the same time, but from sort of different angles. So you're you're trying to look yeah. after her by not saying anything just yet, but also thinking, oh, I'm okay now, Shah, I think, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I'd be in trouble yeah. or, you know, but I, I that's, that's crazy that I actually that's remember crazy. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! When's the last time you thought about it? Um, no, I. The last time I thought about it, I tell a lie, was the last time I was in a papa, which was my sister's wedding in two thousand and sixteen, because her husband's her father-in-law had a house right near the hospital. Oh, so you drove past it? We yeah, we drove past it. But it was so bizarre because I was like, mm. oh, my goodness, this is what I remember. And that road, especially on Sundays, we would, my mom would let us ride our bikes out of the compound. Because as much as it, we lived in GRA, so it was fairly safe, but our compound was big enough. And we rarely used to leave unless we were in a car, excuse me. Um, but we would be allowed to have Sunday walks down that road where the hospital was. So mm. I think I, I remembered it then. Yeah. Possibly. Thanks for sharing that. Ooh, girl, you digging deep. Oh, my God. <laughs> we just started. We just started. Can you imagine? <laughs> if you could be a TV character, who would you like to be? So I'll give wow. you my example. Emotionally, okay. I used to want to be Claire Underwood from House of Cards because I just really admired wow. her strength and how she was really? just very, not from the let's kill people, you know, sort of things, <laughs> crazy, not bad, just, I can be very, very afraid of making decisions. I can be very afraid of how what I say or do affects other people. And I mm. second things. And she just has this stillness about her, the character, and obviously by extension, the person who played her, that I just admired so much that I used to emotionally want to be that. You know, just if I make a decision and, you know, let's say I decide I want to post myself on social media doing something weird, whatever that is, I want to be able to post yeah. myself and not worry about what people might say. Yeah, that used to be a Wow. While you're thinking, let me add one more. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you can think this of is dumb. This is dumb, Orica. It's like, no, you're like giving me expo. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it to. Okay. Me. Give me the next one. The next one is, who do you think you, in, in actuality, like in reality, who, who do you think you are? Um, and I'll give you my example. In okay. reality, I'm more like Bonnie from Vampire Diaries because I'm. Okay, constantly... I've never watched Vampire Diaries. Oh, okay, you don't know Bonnie. <laughs> that one. I don't watch vampires. Constantly <laughs> drinking fencing over somebody else's headache. That one. Oh wow! Yeah, which is probably Annalise Keating's character as well, isn't it? How to get away with murder. Her students were always getting up yeah. to no good and she was always trying to solve things with them and then making it worse in the process. And I'm like, just leave them. Let them go to jail. Leave them. Leave them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my two. Yeah. Oh, this is... And I've got to think of my favourite shows and who I relate to. Hmm. Who... Oh, do you know what? Who I would want to be. Yes. This is so crazy, but she's the first person came to my head, so I'm going to say it. Eva Longoria in yes. Desperate Housewives. Why? Whatever. What's something Celise? I don't, I, I can't explain it. She just seemed to have a nice life. 
Mm. And she was enjoying it. But I can't remember what happened to her. But I just oh, when no, you said that, her, doesn't her, matter. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, her, her personality. I just I enjoyed her. I enjoyed watching her. Right. And in, so every time she had a storyline, I paid more attention to it. Okay. That is so weird that that's what I pick, a desperate housewife. But it's less about her being a housewife from what you're saying. It's more about someone who's able to just really live in the moment. Yeah. For what it is. So that's that's what I'm getting from it anyway. Yeah. And who am I actually like? Who do I relate to? You know when you just see elements of lots of people that you like and you want? But... To say you're actually like somebody. Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten her name. Anna Fisher in Diaries of a Shopaholic. Ah, uh, I haven't seen that one. We're going to make you want to watch that one now. Her? I haven't seen it. No, actually, no, actually not that one. She was, oh my gosh, it was a, it was, um, a fairy tale one. It wasn't a Shopaholic one. She um, was in a fairy not tale. Not Princess Diaries. Um, Once Upon a Time in something. I think so. Okay. She was, I just, this is so weird, but it's, I'm sure it's Anna Fisher. Isla. Oh, see, I don't even know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Who's the one that's married to um, Borat? But you know, there's one of them. So Isla Fisher's, I think the one who's married to, 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 but you know, there's one of them. There's three of them that look a lot like alike. Yes. Anna Fisher, she's the Australian, isn't she? She's and then you have the one who was in that film, Anna Kendrick. Yes, who also kind I'm of a, looks like her. Yeah, Amy Adams looks like her. Amy Adams as well. Yes. So it's Amy Adams I'm talking about in Enchanted. Okay, okay. that's yes. who I'm talking about. Ah, because as I'm, I'm actually realistic I in actually life, <laughs> but I also have fairy tale moments. <laughs> No, but I, I still want to be the princess. I don't mean in terms of your head is in the clouds, kind of see that. Just you're very optimistic and it's like nothing can get you down. You're <laughs> very focused. And even when you're like, you do sing and you do sing and dance. <laughs> when you're happy, when you're irritated, when you're hungry, you're always singing and dancing. And it's like you literally bring joy to a room when you walk into it. And that definitely is her. <sighs> So yeah, I see that. Like, good one. I, I, I would, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Adams in Enchanted. I just had to pull it up real quick. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Those are the two most random people I would pick up a day who come to my mind. This is like a therapy session. You do know that, right? Yes. Like delving into my subconscious. Thank you for listening to the Unsullied podcast, where every week we have conversations like this. You're not famous quote when they say you don't know, a child doesn't know it's poor until he plays in a rich kid's house. Yeah, that was me. You must be prepared. What you carry is always bigger than you. To find and share previous episodes, please go to l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash o-r-e-k-a-g-o-d-i-s. That's link tree forward slash Oreca Goddess. We return now to our conversation with actress Waruche Opia, whose new show, I May Destroy You, premieres on HBO in a few days. 
That's 7th of June, 2020, if you are joining us from the future. Here's what she had to say about 2001, a pivotal year in her life. It was a mix of everything. It was, because um, it was, we'd all come on, my whole family had come to the UK and my dad had moved here, so my dad was here before us. And um, we'd all come and my mum had told us there was a possibility we might stay with my dad, but we weren't sure if we were going to. And um, at the end of the trip, my mum was like, yeah, you guys would stay with me and my sister would stay with my dad and she and my brothers would go back to Nigeria. And it was, at first, it was cool. But then after a while, it was like, especially when we went to school and all that stuff, then it started sinking in that this is a completely different reality to what I had, I was used to. I mean, mm. being in the UK obviously wasn't strange, but it was the culture. Yeah. Um, I started learning more about how things really were here. The notion of blackness, I had no idea of until I moved to the UK. I, didn't yeah, know I, there I was say so as much. well that I didn't, I didn't realize that I was black until I moved to yeah. Berlin. I, yeah. Saying it out loud sounds silly, but I didn't, you know when people say, oh, I don't see color. You know, and I'm like, oh I God, didn't. Someone who I didn't. I didn't know I was black. I honestly didn't. I didn't know that being black meant that you, you know, at that point, meant that you were different from everybody else and you had to behave in a certain way and you had to talk in a certain way and that everyone just couldn't be in the same vicinity. I, di I didn't understand. It took me a while to understand why there were these many... Um, it was just, there was that much division, division, mm -hmm. why there had to be, you had to stick. I didn't know why I had to stick to one community. I didn't know why I could be friends with anybody. I didn't know why the, the Asian kids hung out together or why the black girls hung out together or why the white girls hung out together because where I'd come from and I'd been to international schools, everyone was just everyone. It didn't matter where you were from. I'd learned from other cultures. So I had a friend in primary school her name was Becky How, and she was from she was Chinese now I'd go to her house I'd eat whatever food they gave me we'd play together and she'd come to my house and do the same thing so uh, you know I was used to everyone just getting on and learning and being able to exist in the same space and appreciate other cultures but then when I moved to the UK then I started seeing the harshness of it and learning about racism was a <laughs> was an eye-opener Hmm. When, so, when you moved um, to the UK, did you keep in touch with, with Becky? Did you have a moment where you thought, I, I wonder how she felt living in Nigeria? Did she feel she was a minority living in a predominantly black state? I never thought about it. Never hmm. thought about it. I didn't keep in contact with her because I can't remember why. Yeah, because I wasn't sure if I was, I left primary school year five. And a lot of people stayed till year six. Now, I can't even remember if she or her family left or what the situation was. But I never, I never considered how she might have felt being, you know, not the majority. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if as a child she would have experienced it, but her parents obviously would have had a different 
understanding and notion being adults, but as a child, I don't, I don't know. Mm. I wouldn't have thought so. Because again, there were so many people from different places. We were all learning about each other's cultures. Yeah. So to specifically like not be able to get on with one person would be a bit odd, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Um, I remember when I moved, I went from being very excited to feeling very lonely. Um, mm. The first two were kind of hard. I, I lived in, we moved to Surrey, so I didn't live in London. And oh, wow. um, at the time, there were, in all of, you could go to the town center and there'd be two black people. There'd be me and my mom. That's it. Um, in school, in total, at one period in time, there were maybe three black girls in school. So it was me, one Ghanaian, and then just before I left school, one girl. The whole home. school. School. Um, and then in my year, like when I was in year eight, nine, year ten, I was the only black girl in the entire year. Um, girl, and that was my reality. And so, and, and I'm not saying that people were racist, but then when people said certain things to me, do you know it took me years to realize, oh, that was racist. <laughs> like I was so young. <laughs> They say things and they use certain slurs, but because it wasn't something that I had ever heard or yeah, I, I grew up in a household where we, we weren't allowed to listen to secular music. It was gospel music, and even certain gospel music wasn't allowed in the house. You know, wow. I did, this is my first rap album until I had an illegal boyfriend. I say illegal because I wasn't allowed, so no one was allowed to know that I had one. How old was that? Um, I was well, how old? Sixteen, seventeen, maybe. When I had my okay. first boyfriend, um, and that boyfriend was more like pen pal, really. Like I didn't know, <laughs> but so he made he made a mixtape. He sent it to me, and I was like, okay, cute. And it was just like all oh. of And I was like, what's this noise? And I couldn't listen to it if anyone was around. But so basically, I, I was I lived a very sheltered life. So when mm. people think some of them were maybe a little bit racist, some of them were very very overtly sexual in a very unnecessary way, and I, I'm not even going to repeat some of the words. Wow. Well, um, because it's embarrassing for me to say that I didn't know what that meant <laughs> at the time, because there's nothing to explain why a 16, 17 year old didn't know that that word is, is, is not right. <laughs> you know, what are mm. you? Um, but yeah, but outside of that, I, I, did, I did find it quite lonely. And I remember my mom one time saying that she's really happy that we didn't live in London because a lot of girls who live in London run into certain troubles, and a lot of guys who live in London, you know, boys trouble and they get picked on at school and sometimes the teachers pick on them as well um that yeah. I might start acting out and basically she'd have to put condoms in my bag whenever I leave the house and they're like what you think I'm having sex? oh no <laughs> oh no I'm not doing that wow. <laughs> no thank you um I'm like what do you think I am <laughs> that's crazy before she was like, I don't want, I don't want you, you know, coming back home pregnant and whatever, because, but you know, because we live in Surrey and where we live, it's so quiet that I know that when you go home, when you go to school, you come straight back home. You're not lying. I was like, oh, mm. all right. Thanks, mother. It's <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard. Oh, man. Wow. So if you were to describe your teenage years with the current contents of your fridge, how would you how would you do that? Right now, what's in the fridge? <laughs> I would say ketchup. 
how how were how were you catch up as a teenager? Actually, no, I get that. Actually, do I? Because I, I ate a lot of chips. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me explain that. So, as a teenager, um, <laughs> we didn't really. I didn't cook at all. Um, I didn't cook at all. My sister taught herself how to cook. Um, which was amazing, but even then it was still a struggle. So, because she was just doing what she could do, hmm. and so a lot of my teenage years, I didn't eat much wholesome food. I ate a lot of stuff. I just remember eating chips, oven chips, and chicken strippers, and chicken dippers, and fish fingers, <laughs> and ketchup was the constant. <laughs> In all of this, because my dad couldn't cook either. It was weird, man. I am so. At one point, I, I actually, my mum thought I was anorexic because I was oh, just wow. not eating much. Apart from one point, I was eating only cook, chocolate chip cookies, cheese strings, and Coca Cola. Oh wow, that's all I would have. And now thinking about it, that might have been a response to something. <laughs> Oh, wow. But that was all I was eating. I would have that for lunch at school when I came home. I would have that as well. Maybe I'd have some chips, but I was having chocolate chip cookies, cheese strings, and Coca-Cola. Were you a fussy eater at all? Because because obviously there'd be school lunches and and dinners and things. So they always had lasagna and vegetables and things. So would you see it and avoid it and be like, no, it doesn't look, it doesn't look tasty? I think... The girls in school never, when, when I was in year nine and 10, we never used to eat school dinners. I just didn't understand. I didn't know who was allowed to go to school dinner. I didn't know how it worked. Mm. And I think when I got to year 10 or 11, I went a few times, but then I didn't want to pay for it for some reason. So I know actually what I used to do is like my lunch money, my lunch money, I used to use it to buy things. So I'd save up my lunch money for the week and go and buy a top or a pair I of jeans. I thought you were going to say music because I was about to ask what's the first album you bought. But no, you bought clothes. The first album I bought was, oh goodness, Craig David. Oh yes, had to be. Born to do it. Yes. That was the first album I bought. But that was part of what my money was spent on. Albums and singles. The important things in life. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that was it. So what I, that's exactly. So I would take those snacks from home. Mm, that's it. I would take the cheese strings, cookies and Coca-Cola from home and save my money <laughs> and not buy school dinner. But school dinners were trash anyways, man. They tasted horrible. So when I finally did think, okay, let me try what these people are trying and see how it actually works. Let me get a meal. I would be like, is this it? When I could have just saved my money for McDonald's after school. What are we talking about? <laughs> Eat their fake, their fake curry. Nah, mate. <laughs> no, I never did it the curry. But I did. Horrid. I did eat almost everything else. What I didn't understand was the vinegar. Like you'd walk into the canteen and all it smelled of was vinegar. And everybody had like a massive bowl of chips. They would eat only the chips and leave everything else. So I would eat everything else. And, you know, for the longest time, I would never eat chips because they actually put me off eating chips because they would drown it in vinegar. And yeah, what it smelled that? nasty. I hated it. 
What is that? No. Just put it's salt on it. Salt and ketchup and you're good. And that's it. Sprinkle Do you want to mix it up even more? Burger sauce. You know what I mean? fancy at the end. Um, yeah. Hold on. You say you put black pepper on your chips? Just a sprinkle? Yes. Girl, I have never heard of that. <laughs> just, a just a pinch of black pepper. Just give it small, you know? Spice. I'm going to try it next time. Yeah. Although now, instead of chips, it's not, well, it tends to be sweet potatoes now. So it's paprika and black pepper we sprinkle. Oh, I can't stand sweet potato. Oh, we can oh, talk anymore. Let's goodness. just stop this right now. What did it ever do to you? They try the sweet potato fries. They're trash. Okay, they nobody wants to eat sweet potato. If no. we're gonna eat potatoes, we're gonna eat potatoes. Potatoes. You feel me? No. <laughs> the next time you're in Lagos, we are taking you to Toasties and ordering um, the large sweet potato fries. And we're also bro, gonna you order eat a that on your own. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> oh, Challenge accepted. Hi, me again. I know I sound like I'm calling you from the bottom of some kind of underground bunker. Thank you so much for sticking with this episode. I'm really working on my audio issues. Please support my government by sharing L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash O-R-E-K-A-G-O-D-I-S. You can subscribe and drop us a rating in whatever podcast app you're currently listening from. If you can, please visit orecagoddess.com to join the newsletter and also send feedback on the show. I would really love to hear from you. All right, let's get back into it. Baruji and I are about to play a food game and I'd like you to join it. Are you approaching 21? Oh, are you 21 at heart? Can you remember the lofty dreams you had at 21? Okay, so think about your own self-discovery at that age, but in food terms. For me, I was like Brussels sprouts. I was very green and full of potential, right? And I believed I was bringing a lot to the table. You know, you want some of this. But then after a while, as I went 21, 22, you start to realize that a small percentage of people want Brussels sprouts. The rest can't stand it. (laughs) (laughs) The rest only tolerate it if it's slathered very heavily with something else like, I don't know, gravy or like you have to get a compliment. Otherwise, they just put you in the bin. So that was 21 for me. I had cramps five or seven days straight. Cramps? Yeah, I'd need people to sit on my back whenever I was on my, wow. when I was on my period. It was really bad. And my mom's just like, eh, that's what happens to us, the women in this family, you know, just when you have kids, you'll go. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so what me to I have to live? That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. I am not at 21. I was, 21 was exciting, was an exciting year for me. Um, I had started my clothing business at 20 and I graduated at 21 but um, graduation was in October or November and I had left uni since June so 21 was a very exciting year but it was also a serious year for me because it was that it was a defining year for me so I would say asparagus because I don't know Mm. why I just think asparagus is a serious (laughs) It's so you have one. to know what you have to know what you want 
to eat asparagus. Exactly. Asparagus, asparagus is one yeah. of those ones that you can either get it perfect and it's at that cusp of al dente. And if you do it wrong, it's just soft and soggy. Soggy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so you can do I so feel much like with it. You can roast it. You can grill you can it. Bake you can it, bake it, saute it, it ooh, steam it. it. I would. I, I would say it. a. <laughs> <laughs> I would say asparagus, and I, asparagus is not. Um, obviously, you, in order for you to eat it, you have to try it. But I mm. find a lot of people that I know who haven't had. I I know my experience trying to get people to have asparagus for the first time, mm. and how. It's either you like it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And um, I think my life at 21 was I knew what I wanted and I was desperately and I was trying to make it happen. So it was like, mm -hmm. I like asparagus. This is how I cook it. This is how I like it. Done. Do you know what I mean? And that's mm -hmm. kind of what 21 was like for it's me. It implies you're also very, very bold at 21 because asparagus is one of those ones that when you look at it in the supermarket, it doesn't look like the other fruits and vegetables yeah. in, the, in the aisle. So yeah. you, you, you sound like at 21, you're already confident enough in, in who you are and how you see your, yourself that for you, it's like the world better catch up because I'm I not. I think I was. I definitely was. I mean, I, when yeah. I, I started Jesus Junkie clothing when I was 20, or 19 or 20, and... Um, when I'd left university at 21, I had said to myself I was going to go full-time into that. Um, so I was, like, putting a business plan together. I was um, also looking into doing courses for business. Um, I'd started looking at masters in e-commerce wow. and things like that. So I was, like, going to go into it 100%. I had a complete business hat on, which sounds crazy to me now because I have no idea what I'm doing in life. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that we're gonna get to I that <laughs> because that is not man. true I was like I had a plan I was like this is what I need to do this is how it's gonna go down and I had like things written down and things used to like happen how I planned them if that made right. sense so I felt like I was in charge of everything and then so I had that going and then it was September of the year I turned 21 I had a fantastic 21st birthday as well. I remember um, it was a Barbie themed party and I said everyone had to come dressed as in pastel colors, but nobody wear pink because I was wearing Okay, Anna Kendrick. Yes, go on, go on. And I had a <laughs> pink bounty castle in the garden. But I remember I said no alcohol because I wasn't drinking. And I said, nobody's having any alcohol. If you're going to get high, you're going to get high off sugar. So I don't know. Why did I say that? I wanted. I think I wanted to prove to to people as well that we didn't need any other things to really mm. to get to have a good you know, time. Have a good time, exactly. So we just had loads of sugar. I mean, I got a candy floss machine. We had, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. But um, the September yeah. of my twenty first year is when I was like this business thing, and then I was like praying and a lot, uh, spending a lot of time with God. And then I was like, oh, this acting thing, though, am I not going to try it? Am I, you know, what am I, how do I feel about it? And then it was from researching, doing a bit of research, I found Identity School of Acting, which we both went to. Um, and then I was bold enough to go and audition and I got in. And I think at the end of that year was when I got signed to the agency. So that was my 21st year. 
So a lot happened <laughs> in that year. And I remember when I got signed, I said to myself that I was on my way to the to um to a review session where they were going to tell us, you know, what class we'd go to, if they were going to, you know, what was going to happen after that term that we'd done of three or four months. And on my way there, I'd said, I was praying and I said, Lord, if this acting is what you want me to do, let them sign me to the agency. If they don't sign me, I'm done with the acting and I'm going to go and focus on business and do Jesus Junkie full time and do whatever comes of it. Cause there are other things I want to do with it apart from just the clothing. Um, so when I got there and I got signed to the agency, that was the moment that I knew that this was what I was going to do with my life. Um, so 21 was that defining year for my career, I guess. Wow. I think that actually answered the next three sets of questions. I have <laughs> but just in case it didn't cover it, I'm going to ask it. And if you yeah. already covered it, then we just moved on. Uh, we'll move okay. on. But yeah, no, I wanted to know what moments you thought was the most pivotal for you, you know, as you were growing up. The, the moment that you just, when you look back, you're like that one moment is responsible for where I am now. And it sounds like. That was one of them, but I do have another one when I was about five or s- between five and seven. My mom, in my house, we had a few reception rooms and there was a room there was there was this section of the house it was called my mum it was called mummy's side <laughs> and the, there there was a living room a little dining area a bedroom a toilet and so that like that was my mum's little apartment in the house and I remember my mum was watching tv one night and I had convinced my sister and one of our cousins to I can't remember if it was one of my cousins or my baby brother, but my brother, I don't think it was my brother because he would have been too young. Okay. I think it was my sister and one of my cousins. And I said we had to do a performance of Humpty Dumpty. Oh. Excuse me. And so I was like, when you do Humpty Dumpty, we have to sit on the table. And when Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall, somebody's going to have to fall. And then all the king's horses, you're going to be the king's horses <laughs> and the men. And then you're going to push Humpty Dumpty back onto the wall so he becomes together again. And how I don't know how was I this table? Girl, it was, <laughs> it was a coffee table. So it wasn't going to be a real fall. But it, it was a massive drop. Okay. No, not a drop mm. at all. It was the performance of it. So we did it. And I remember my mum was watching telly over our heads, but she was also encouraging us at the same time. And after we finished, I don't know if I made us bow, but I remember my mum was like, that was great. And she was like, you know what? Go to the fridge and bring Smarties. I'm going to give you Smarties. And we got paid in Smarties. And I will never, that was, that's my earliest memory of, um, acting and it's stuck with me and it just it just shows me how far back this this passion and life dream has been active in me and I love something else I love about that story is also this beautiful moment that you shared with your mom your your cousin and your sister as well where like you said Mm -hmm. she's watching it it, there's just something almost metaphoric about it as well about how she's watching whatever else she's doing she always has her eye out on you and, and that is exactly on. how she's been throughout my whole career. My mom is my mm. biggest, 
biggest fan and my biggest advisor. She knows about all the roles that I take. I discuss it with her. And that is definitely, definitely metaphorical. And how she is in my career, you know, my biggest cheerleader. This is a quick shout out to Fei Fei of 808XTRA for editing this episode and cleaning up my audio as much as humanly possible. See this thing you're managing right now that you're like, ah, Oreka, I didn't try. And because of Rona and your laptop, this audio is sounding a bit, girl. She cleaned this up. A lot of blood, sweat and tears went into it, mostly Fei Fei's. And I'm very, very grateful. So if you have a podcast or are planning to, but don't know where to start, give 808XTRA a bell and find out today how they can help you take care of all your pre and post-production needs. They do fancy radio jingles, radio dramas and provide support for audiobooks as well. If you want to get in touch, again, it is a Feifei of 808XTRA. Her website is IamTheFeifei.com. That's I for indigo, A-M for mother, T-H-E-F-A-Y-F-A-Y.com. Once you're on that page, just click on the tab that highlights 808XTRA. You'll see all the work they've done before and how to get in touch with them. And um, they will be able to do whatever you need with your audio stuff. Let them know Orca Goddess sent you. If I was good, good, good. Yeah, when people say to me, what was, what was your five-year plan or ten-year plan? I can't answer those questions because I'm more of a take-a-day-as-it-comes kind of yeah. person. Um, so I think that even goes back because I, I can't remember having thought more of my life apart from having a family mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I planned anything else then but then if a part of you always knew from the age of five that this you know even if it was your mind or your body subconsciously telling you until you were conscious enough of that sound telling you you know this acting thing is what we want to do yeah. um what what do you, what did you think what did you imagine working as an actor would be like um, I didn't think it would be as much work as it is. Mm. I remember the first ever time on set was um, a real eye-opener for me because I didn't realize how repetitive it could be. I just know that I enjoyed the acting part of it, you know, just being and playing. That's That's what I loved. But then in life, you have to take the reality with it as well you know when people say oh you know the whole idea when people think that actors just play I mean we do play for a living which is fantastic and that's part that's what I love but there's also an element of there is the element of work in it as much as it looks fun in games those that's like what 10 percent of what actually goes into it 10 to 20 percent the rest is the work you know the the, the long days, the being away from home, the missed family events and the sacrifices having to be made to have you see us on screen for 60 minutes, 90 minutes <laughs> playing. But it's the reality of it that I never expected. But um, I'm a hard worker anyways. I enjoy working. So it's a reward for me when I see the end product. So I don't mind I say to myself, even, there are a lot of things that I don't do normally as in my day-to-day life, but it comes automatically to me when I am working. 
Now, um, scripts, I don't have a very good memory. I can't tell you what I had yesterday for dinner. But mm. if a script is in front of me, I will learn the lines quite fast. <laughs> Surprisingly fast. So that's one thing that I know that, you know, this is a special skill for this. And I don't Did like getting up. Training? Be, no, did you have to train specifically around that because you know that your memory isn't that great, or just I don't think I did specific. Mm-hmm. I don't think I did specific training for it. I mean, I kind of know myself in the sense that okay, if I have an audition on what's today, if I have an audition on Sunday, I know that I need two days to prepare it, um, depending on how long it is. But I don't do m- much training. It's a thing of where because the passion is there and the love is there for it. It just comes. The skills that I need just manage somehow manifest, which is crazy to say that now. <laughs> but that's that's the truth. <laughs> it's the same thing with like waking up. Now I'm a nocturnal person. I've always wished that I could be that person who wakes up at six, seven o'clock in the morning naturally. Nah, my body clock will wake me up naturally at ten a.m. And a lot of people are like, the day's already done. I'm like, if I wake up at ten a.m., <laughs> I'm having a productive day. Yeah, But like when I'm working, and obviously it's habit as well, I'm able to get up at 5, 5.30 to be picked up to go to work. And I'm alive because I'm doing what I want to do. Do you know what I mean? I'm doing what I enjoy. So um, I can't even remember your question now. I've just gone yeah. off on a tangent. <laughs> no, 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 we like it. Um, but one thing I, I realized about what you said as well is you're, you're quite goal-oriented. You're, you're about... You know, if there's a project that you're doing and it requires you to be up at five o'clock in the morning for the next six months, you will do that quite comfortably. Yeah. Um, but in your own moments where you don't have to do that, then you just go back to your own routine. And I think that's that says a lot about how you, you work as well. So, um, yeah. And I think that works perfectly. I mean, for me as a person as well. And I obviously had to realize that um, I, I have spurts of energy. So with a project, I'm happy to go six months I'm happy to go three months six weeks boom 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 and then I like to have my break after that I mean it's um it's interesting because obviously a lot of people have the uh, more steady you know system and how they work daily routine and whatever but it's because of the nature of the job it changes but I I enjoy those spurts when Mm. you know intense amount of time concentrating on this and then after that you let it go and then it comes and goes yeah. so I, I enjoy that I think that works best for my personality so most freelancers and creatives have quiet periods you know you're working on you can be working on five be triple booked working on a movie a tv show and you're preparing for to go on stage six months from now all yeah. at the same time and yeah. you'll be like back to back for 18 months straight. And then you have just mm-hmm. this two week period or three month period where there's just no work. Um, how do you handle yeah. those quiet periods? How do you stave off the fear of, is this it? Will I never work again? <laughs> Will nobody ever call me again? You know, I how mean, do you not spiral in that time? That fear always comes in because you mm-hmm. never know what's going to happen. I've had, the, I've had those periods where I haven't worked. There was a year I didn't work for 10 months. And the year after that, I worked for 10 months. So you never know how it's going to go. Um, but I did come to a point where I 
was spending uh, a quiet period. It's so weird though, because when you get a busy period, you're like, oh God, I need a break. Oh, I just need a break. I just need a break. I miss myself, you know? And it's so weird because I know it was like, even just the last, this last job that I did that's coming out, um, I May Destroy You, there was a moment where I wanted to change my nail color, my nail polish. And because my character had a specific color on her nails, my nails were that color for six months. And that was cute, but I wanted to change it <laughs> because I wanted to feel like Waruche. I didn't want yes. to feel like Terry. I wanted to feel like me. Actually, I did change it when I went to, um, I think over Christmas, I, was, I went to New York for 10 days and I got some long red sparkly nails. <laughs> And I and, thought, and were, were they the kind of nails you would have ordinarily gotten anyway, or was I wouldn't do the sparkly. Pure, you would never, yeah. This is just pure I would rebellion. Not do the sparkly. Yeah. It was a complete. I'm doing the most out there yeah. thing I could to be myself or to be outside of this character for this moment in time before I come back home, take the nails off, <laughs> and go back into being Terry again. So. um that that is sometimes you know it's needed to be able to take your mind off. But again, as a freelancers as well, when you're working, 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 you say I want a break. But when you have these long exterior periods of breaks, you then get anxious. Am I going to work mm-hmm. again? So what I did, I think I had a long period, and it got to a point where I was like not able, like financially, I was struggling. So I was like, this is ridiculous, just sitting here waiting. <laughs> and I said to myself, I don't want to do bar work. I don't want to do. Um, retail so I started uh teaching assistant work um and that I actually really really enjoyed so I was doing that in between the time and I did not even know that was an option oh it is because at the time I went through that um, when I was at IDSA I was looking for work because it was um, at the time a solid year of just there was nothing else I had just moved back from Nigeria and my CV, which I thought I thought was quite decent, was laughed mm. at at every time. I could not find work, not in the finance wow. sector, which I'd worked in before, not in policy and governance, which I'd worked in before as well, not in healthcare, nothing. I was That's like, crazy. What? So eventually I worked in a call center. And it oh, wasn't even one, that. Of those, <laughs> one of those ones where as you're walking through the door, you literally feel your soul tap you on the shoulder and be like, yeah, oh, the building. Cause I'm not entering that place with you. <laughs> I know exactly um, that feeling. I did call center. I did it yeah. for, uh, I think I did it for four, four or five months. The most soul sucking time exactly. of my life where exactly. every day I prayed, I was like, let this be the end of it. Please, yeah. please. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was actually on the verge of going back to the call center when a friend of mine at the time had said to me, you could be a teaching assistant. That's what I've been doing. And she was an actor as well. And I was like, oh, how wow. do you do it? Don't you need teaching qualifications? Exactly. I would have thought that. Oh, wow. You don't need, I mean, you're not teaching plans. You're not teaching lessons. You're just assisting the teacher. Um, so you're literally just in the class. A lot of the times I was dealing with children with special educational needs. Of course. Um, so all I had to do was sit with them and, 
you know, sometimes they had work that was not the same as the rest of the class. Um, so you just sit down and help them really. And I loved it. I mean, there were, there was a school I was at for about six or seven months and everyone would say to me, you sure you don't want to teach the children love you. And I loved these kids. It was mm-hmm. quite like when I, when I got a job, I was uh, almost upset. When I got on, right? like, oh, can I do both? Can I, because this is never going to see yeah, this kid. Because I had yeah. said to myself that if I didn't become an actor, I would teach. Mm. that had always been an option so well in my head so when I got the opportunity to teach and I found that I liked it I was like wow Mm. this is quite incredible because I'm still able to do it and I loved I loved it loved it loved it most yeah so you know all you need is um a CRB check just to make sure you don't have a criminal background and once Mm. that's done that was good so I was doing um yeah I would do like random schools around and then I did find this one school where I stayed for a few, for some months. Yeah, about five, about five months. And then I got an acting job you, and left. How did you juggle that with um, booking auditions and going to see agents and doing self-recordings? So I told them, the agencies, some of these, and it's, yeah, so it's the, the teaching assistant agencies, they know that um, they, they're aware at the beginning. So they're flexible. And with the agency work, it's day work. So it's not like full days of, you know, school. So they call you sometimes, they'll call you on the morning and say, are you available today? A teacher or assistant has called in sick, so you go in. And it's entirely up to your schedule. Because, you know, if you're available, you go. If you're not, you don't. If you don't go in, you don't get paid. So it's completely dependent on you. But um, when I was at the school for a long time, I was doing mornings. So I would do 8 to 12.30. And then if I had any auditions, they would go in in the rest of the day. Um, yeah, so I was able to juggle it. And at the end of the day, school days don't finish. You still have a couple hours after school day to do stuff. And I would yeah. do my self-tapes at night with my friends. So mm-hmm. in the evenings, I would do that. But um yeah. No, it sounds a lot, but it actually okay. wasn't. <laughs> no, like I said, the call center one I did, they would, yeah. they, were, they would tell you that, oh, this is a place where we encourage actors to join because we know you guys will need time. To Girl, I know which one you went to. Is it, is it well, the actors' call center that you went to? No, I did. I did well, I did, I did an interview with them and something about it. I just felt, mm, this might not be the one. Um, there was another one. I can't remember the name now. I have to check my email. But there were two. I, 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 there was one I got a, a, a job with. And mm. something in my spirit just said, don't do it. So the day I was <laughs> I actually went and I said, I'm really sorry, this is not going to work. And then there's another one that I did go to and man, the hoops, they would make you jump and they were paying minimum wage, mind you. Wow. And I mean, actual minimum wage so that every day I would wake up and remind myself that I still owe the government almost 20,000 pounds in student loan and I will never pay it off with this minimum wage job. And then anytime I couldn't book a job, like acting or whatever, I just always felt, oh my, I felt as though if this is me for the rest of my life in terms of dead end job is all I'll ever be able to do. Then is this really what my life has culminated? So it was, it was so destroying for me. And um, they made us jump through all sorts of hoops and you would then stand a chance to win a five pound Debenhams voucher. Wow. (laughs) I was just like... 
Is that the incentive? That's so <laughs> weak. That's five pounds? I mean, what? Um, so I left it. that one. Um, I can't remember the name of the company now. I think I'll have to check my email. But I remember we, we were also, every week what the job we do varied. So sometimes we'd be calling um, labor, we would call on behalf of labor and fielding in calls for them. Yeah. Um, for donations. And then people who were angry at whoever was, had said something in the news that day would be having to go with you for what the MP had said. <laughs> and then you're like, yes, but sorry, I'm just here to collect your, you're a labor member. I'm calling on behalf of labor to collect your donations for the, and they would cuss me out. I'm like, but I'm just here to collect. I didn't do anything. <laughs> you know? Um, so no, it's really rough. And I think that the, the job that you did was fantastic because it, it really gave you a sense of you saying that you wanted to teach and stuff. hundred percent. Yeah. Good. So I wonder if maybe, you know, when you retire, you would even consider setting up at the foundation of some sorts and, you know, help people who have learning disabilities and, and yeah. It sounds that like would, that would be great. I mean, mm-hmm. I do want to do some sort of teaching as well I have philanthropic dreams and visions <laughs> for the future so I definitely do have a spot soft spot for p- um, people and children with special educational needs so that yeah. that would be something that I definitely would love to do in the future if I was good, good, good. how do you even begin to balance your passion with building an authentic audience of, of people who, who enjoy your work and follow you and want to see you, whether it's on stage, on TV, um, doing fantastic voiceover work on books and all these other things you do. How do you balance all of that? And how do you, even though you're playing so many different characters, how do you keep your own voice clear? Um, I, I would say my faith plays a huge part in it. Um, one, the only constant in all these things is my faith with God, my duties, uh, in church, um, and my family, my grounding and my, um, my core is my faith and my family. So they're the only two things that keep me grounded if I'm, yeah, when I'm feeling, bad or overwhelmed or um extremely happy <laughs> my immediate um my immediate go-to is prayer mm-hmm. or the word and then I call my family my mom or my sister um they're the ones that are responsible um, my best friend as well I was just friends just family family I think the most important most important key to keep in balance because they remind me who I am you know it's easy to get carried away there's so many voices so many you know things that need to be done and emails you need to be here you need to be there you need to do this we need that so you're constantly being told what you need to do um and I remember I never understood it I read an, an interview Daniel Kaluuya did and I think he was asked a similar question and he said that he has to find time for himself to do what he wants to do because he's, you know, out of a majority of the time he's getting calls saying you need to be here, you need to be there. And I remember thinking, what? 
nobody can tell me where I need to be and what I need to do. <laughs> now I understand what he means because mm. there are no office hours with this. I mean, I've got representation in America, so I'm in the day getting emails or phone calls from my UK agent telling me what's happening here. Then that's and then so she's working from ten till six PM. And then at 6 p.m. here in London, it's 11 a.m. in L.A. Then overnight, I'm getting another bunch of emails from my U.S. team telling me what I need to do from that side. So it's like, where in these 24 hours do you have time to do what where Ruche wants to do? Do you know what I mean? Or be just you. So I take my family and my faith very, very seriously. Um, I'm involved in my church quite heavily, and that is definitely something that I appreciate and has kept me, because even the times when I'm not working or haven't been working for ages, I've been busy in church, and it's been the best thing because there's been no regret spending time in my faith and, you know, helping to do stuff, um, helping in the community all through the faith, um, through my church. We do charitable things as well. So those are the things that, that keep me grounded. Because mm -hmm. other than that, <laughs> exactly, you spend the majority of your life being told what to do, being having to be here, being other people. So my family and my faith are what keeps me balanced in life. <laughs> in terms of running your business as well, um, I spoke to some entrepreneurs who say for them it's very important to always wake up and try to run their business from a joyful place that they feel that they mean, have to be obsessed with what they're doing and not be afraid that if I don't do this or that it won't work. So that energy and enthusiasm is almost an obsessive, almost uh, joyfulness, obsessive yeah. joyfulness. What a what a, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> that they make sure they have that every day for their work. And and what do you find that you have to bring to not your acting life now, but your your business life? My business has actually been on a bit of a break uh, since my acting career took off to the extent um, I do plan to go back onto it. A whole rebrand is in the works, but I haven't actually been active with that, which has been a source of guilt <laughs> mm. that has been niggling away at me. But I do intend to go back to that. I found it hard actually juggling the both of them. I wasn't able to balance, I haven't been able to balance them both or get somebody who I trust enough to help me um with that but I'm working on coming back with that because that is um a passion of mine that's not ready to to die yeah. <laughs> just yet yeah, but I um I mean like I said the, the clothing line is one aspect of it there are other things that I want to do with Jesus Junkie so it's all it's all I'm all trying to work I'm trying to work it all together and um hopefully we'll have the resources and the um, team to help me to build the vision, the big picture, the bigger vision than just the clothing. Yeah. Well, I really like how you've always managed to balance. Um, in fact, you don't even make it seem like you're balancing. It's, it's who you are, your faith, your work, your, your family. Say that again. Your interests. 
No, I was saying that I like the way you've always managed to balance your faith. And then I corrected myself because it's not even, you don't make it feel like a balancing act. It's, it's a part of who you are. Oh, so wow. it never seems like you're balancing. Oh, you know, do I bring my faith into the conversation today? Do I go to an audition letting them know I'm Christian or not? Do I speak about Jesus junkie or not? You know, it's, it's, it's you. So it's not even that it's going hand in hand. It is you. And it's your faith, yeah. your family, your passion your dreams and everything. I, I just, the, the person that you are has just always been um, amazing for me to, as an observer. And, and I hope that you feel that you're, you're doing yourself um, good service as it were. Cause I know sometimes uh-huh. we can be hard on ourselves thinking I'm not doing enough. Or, if only I had more time. Yep. Looking <laughs> from the outside, you're doing fantastic. Uh, so <laughs> I I'm, appreciate that. So we've clocked the hour mark and I really wasn't planning for this to be longer than an hour because I'm, so conscious and appreciative of your time um i do have more questions oh, wow. but i'm not we have yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's on it's on that talk of of asparagus and broccoli that's what did it it's true it's true it's true <laughs> so um i'm going to have to sadly just abandon a whole batch of questions now which <laughs> I'm not very happy about because these are some good ones that but hopefully there'll be a day and a time when we can speak to you on the podcast again. Um, but before you. we go, I just have some that I hope you can answer, like fake quick fire style, because some of these don't look okay. like quick fire questions. <laughs> I'll try. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, what's the most terrifying <laughs> yet rewarding moment you've lived through? Terrifying yet rewarding. I have a few of those. I mean, well, I would say for this job that's coming out, um, there was a, a part in it where I wasn't comfortable. So that the show is about sexual consent. So there is a lot of um, sex and um, sexually explicit content in it. And there was a scene where my character um, has one of the, excuse me, has one of those scenes. And when I found out about it, um, I had told my agent that. I was not going to do it if I was not going to do it because I don't do sex or sexually explicit stuff in my work. I'm not comfortable with it. So um, I had said to them, so she said to me, oh, so if they don't take it out or if they don't make any adjustments, are you willing to forfeit the role? And I said, yes. Um, Because it's my faith um, and that's what I believe and that's what I stand for and you know, say it with your chest. <laughs> um, so I had, that was the deal. And my, my team know that already. So when they give me, you know, there are a lot of stuff that they filter out for me that they know I will not do because of any sexually explicit work. I'm, you know, ready to not do those and lose out on potentially great projects for that. So, um, yeah, so they, they, sh- they sent me the script and I said, well, that's too exquisite for me. So if they don't adjust it, or they don't take it out, I'm not going to do it. And I said, cool. Um, and they didn't, um, I didn't hear anything. That was after the third audition I went for. And a few months later, I was in the States filming, and I got a call from my UK agent to tell me that they had offered me the role for this show. You so weren't expecting like, that call, were you? No, I was not. Gosh. Because it would not have been anything to just go ahead with that um so I was like wow so I, I still got the job 
we've been able to come to a compromise uh, in the sense where we got a body double to act out the scenes because it was pivotal for the story. And that was a happy compromise. So it was a terrifying but rewarding situation where Absolutely. I stood to my grounds, um, to my beliefs, and it paid off. One of the questions that um, I, I wasn't going to be able to get to earlier was actually to ask you the kind of sacrifices and choices you've made yeah. you know, to, to, to earn your living and to also um, be able to walk in your faith. And you've actually just, without me asking, you've just done <laughs> Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you. What's one mantra that's really helped you push through a moment in your life? One mantra. Yeah. Over to you, Holy Spirit. Have you made any brash decisions that you've lived to regret? Maybe a contract that you signed um, or not signed, maybe bridges that you didn't mean to but got burnt or whatever, let me not put words in your mouth. But have you ever made any brash decisions that you've then basically regretted afterwards? No, in my career, no. Have you ever gotten really bad advice, like really, really bad advice and had the good sense to not follow through with it? No, because I, I have my I have my counsel. <laughs> and as I as God would have it, my counsel always gives me sound advice. So yeah, I've never had that. Please, can I surrender my life to your counsel? Because they see, they seem to be they earn they earn their money. <laughs> how much how much how much you're paying them? They're doing a great job. My team comes through, My team comes through, I can't lie. Um, I think I already know the answer to this next one. Have you ever had bad advice, but it's come... Okay, have you ever had bad advice that you thought was bad, but it came from a source that you trust, and you trust them enough not to question it, and so you went ahead and did it, even though you thought this advice doesn't make sense, and then it ended up taking you somewhere, um, good or bad, on your part. Yeah, because the team comes through. They never give bad advice. (laughs) Never have questions. Crazy to answer those questions. I've never thought about it like that. I have. I have minimum minimal regrets. Yeah, near to none. You so, are very fortunate, and you I'm are blessed very, very and highly favoured. <laughs> Please, if I open my own kind of worms, there, hey Lord. <laughs> <laughs> do not be us not astray, you know. Uh, no, no, me, I am the astray. <laughs> I'm just like, how did I get there? <laughs> I, I mean, I, do you know what? It's it's weird because I'm also kind of like I can be very cautious um, mm. to a fault to sometimes. So there may have been things that I've missed out on because I've been risk adverse. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I won't. I won't say it's all been completely honky-dory, um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's been relatively good. And I, again, I'll put that down to um, my team and having good counsel. And as cliche as it sounds, bringing everything before God, because I tell him I don't want to move until you tell me to move. So... <laughs> Sometimes we'd be here for 10 years. <laughs> but we're getting stronger. But, um, so that's, that's why. <laughs> this is it. This is it. And I think every situation at the end of the day is a learning curve. And then you learn, you know, from whatever the outcome of it is, you know, you know what you could have done 
what you know what you're willing to do what you're not willing to do and everything's a learning curve i reckon so yeah, yeah man you live and you learn yeah um <laughs> can you recommend a book um if you have two we can take that too. Um, yes. One at least. That we absolutely one read. of the books that I, one of the, I, I did the audio book for this book. It's called The Book of Echoes by Rosanna Amaka. This book was so emotive as I was reading it. There was one scene in particular when I was voicing it, when narrating it, where I began crying. And my producer had to stop and say, do you need a break? And I said, yeah. And I had to like take a break for about five minutes before I could go back to continue. Um, It's a fantastic book. I don't know why more people aren't shouting about this book because it was, I've got goosebumps just even remembering how great it was. Um, So I would recommend the book of echoes by Rosanna Amaka. It's um, about, um, no, what should I tell? It's a, it's a, it's a story about two people. Two, oh, I can't even explain it. <laughs> we will find it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But please, honestly, it's a, it's that a is voice to. Yeah, please, it's a voice to the um to the black experience from a Nigerian, um, a Jamaican who both managed to meet each other in the UK as well as the US. So it's it's quite interesting. It's a story that might be able to resonate with people who have, you know, been Africans in the diaspora and some of the things we've experienced. But there's also a part of the Nigerian story in there, a bit of the Jamaican side of stuff. It's it's a black experience, and I thoroughly would recommend. This is this is a book that's been on my mind. I can't. I want more people to read it and um, listen to it if they can. I mean, I don't even care if they don't listen to it. Just read it. <laughs> the the uh, the lady's done a fantastic job. Um, so yeah, yeah. Please read that book. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is the most embarrassing thing you've ever lived through? Now, here's the caveat: you're not allowed to tell us what the thing actually is. Just describe the thing in four words. So just give us four words, and the words don't even have to be in the right order either. So mine, for example, um, would be the most embarrassing thing that happened to me would be uniform, walking, oops, door. Okay. Video, birthday, wedgie, walking. (laughs) 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 That is is it. Thank you so much for your time. Um, <laughs> this has been so amazing. I, I can't tell you how grateful I am um, that, you, that you jumped on this. Can you let us know how to find you on the interwebs for anyone who's trying to find out more about your work? Maybe they want to intern with you. Maybe they want to be considered for Jesus junkie work, whatever. How, how can we engage um, with you? On well, for me personally, my social medias are aside from my uh, from Jesus Junkie stuff. So uh, my social media handles are Wiruche Opia, my name, just full. So same on um, Instagram, Twitter, whatever else. Um, and for Jesus Junkie, we are on social media Jesus Junkie TM. 
which is the same for Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, those are the best ways to contact. So yeah, Jesus Junkie TM. That's it. Thank you so much. So that's it on the Asoli this week. Check out Waruche on all platforms. And by that, I mean Netflix, HBO, Amazon. She literally has at least one project on or everything. And then there's this new one she's in. Good. Coming up. Uh, giving us HBO. Hey. Yes. Yes. So once Corona is over, we're going to do a little, a little Owambe and celebrate this. Yeah. And if you ever get a chance to see her name on a playbill, that is a play you absolutely want to go see and watch her live. She is amazing. And we're so, so grateful for you to tell us why you're on Solid this week. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My mother told me that she will buy me a rubber dolly if I was good, good.